experience anxiety or nerves when you have to present at an important meeting or do a talk? On my Be Bolder course, I asked participants how they'd feel if they were told they need to present to 200 people the next day. Now, responses vary, but at least 70% of people respond with something along the lines of, no. Why is it that public speaking creates such a strong reaction in many of us? And more practically, how do we overcome those nerves to be able to perform at our best? That's what I'm going to be talking about with my guest today, Olivia James, who's a Harley Street performance specialist and therapist. Now, she treats professional confidence issues, public speaking anxiety and trauma to clients, including entrepreneurs, senior leaders and public figures. And they've gone on to deliver successful keynotes, pitches, TEDx's and TV appearances. Olivia works with clients on the root causes of performance and confidence issues and believes that the nervous system is key to unlocking peak performance, treating confidence issues and overcoming unhelpful behaviours. Now, as well as uncovering why we feel so anxious, Olivia and I discuss some specific strategies that you can use ahead of a presentation to go in feeling calm. And we talk about how to deal with going blank or losing your train of thought during a presentation. I've taken some really fantastic tactics from this conversation, and I'm sure you will too. This is the Influence and Impact podcast for women leaders, helping you confidently navigate the ups and downs of leadership and feel less alone on your journey as a leader. My name's Carla Miller. I've been coaching leaders for the past 15 years, and I am your new leadership bestie. And as your bestie, I'm here to remind you of the value you bring to your organization, to help you believe in yourself, and to share practical tools and insights from myself and my brilliant guests that will help you succeed in your career. Now, if speaking in meetings in general is something you struggle with, then do ask your employer to fund you to attend our March Be Bolder course, as well as helping you become more confident generally and turn down the volume on your inner critic. We have an entire workshop dedicated to helping you speak up confidently and get your voice heard in meetings. And you can go to carlamilla.co.uk forward slash be bolder, no space between the words to find out more. Now, let's dive into today's episode and some tips you can use for being a more confident public speaker. Lots of people do seem to experience fear and challenges around public speaking. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it seems to be a fear that impacts so many people? The first thing I want to say is like there's a myth that people go around saying that people fear it more than death. Public speaking is feared more than death. That's not actually true. Uh, it, it, it comes from a, a, a study that was done, a book of lists in 1973. So it was the first thing that most people thought of. But you know, lots of people like thought of creepy crawlies and like getting illness and all this kind of stuff. So, but the reason people fear it is because. And like you'll see behind me, there's a whole chart of the nervous system. What happens like with people with public speaking anxiety that even the thought of public speaking can provoke a physical anxiety response. 
I had a client in my office the other day and I said, well, how are you going to feel about doing that presentation in Germany next week? And literally he showed me his palms, even at the thought of it, started to sweat, like instantly. So the kind of the, the origin story of public speaking anxiety is often a bad experience in the past. So somebody may have had, there's the nervous system and the psychology learns, oh, this is a, this is a, there, a bad thing could happen here. So maybe, I don't know what it was like when you were at school. Do you remember that when you used to go have to read a sentence from a book and you would sit there and you would wait and you'd go, oh God, that's going to, and you'd think, oh no, no, I hope I don't have that sentence. You try and work out which one it was. And this, and, I, and then the, the idea of making a mistake and maybe people laughing at you or the teacher being mean or nasty to you. So sometimes it, people can learn it quite early on Nobody's born with the with the fear of public speaking. Babies are born like with two fears, loud noises and falling. All the other fears are like we learn them later on. So often it's it's a deep psychological fear of like ridicule or rejection deep down. That's often what's at the what's at the heart of it. But then rationally understanding that doesn't necessarily stop the response from happening if i if i my client rationally knows that he's scared of being rejected or like ridiculed it's not necessarily going to uncouple that the thought of him doing a presentation in germany with the the instant body freak out that instant nervous system reaction of this is dangerous so that's where where the where the detective work starts basically. That makes sense. And I guess with public speaking, it's on a scale, isn't it? So so you just feel so much more exposed in terms of that vulnerability than you might do one-to-one. And so is there a spectrum from that sort of feeling that many people might get of, oh, this this presentation is going to be out of my comfort zone, I'll be relieved when it's over, through to phobia? What does that spectrum look like? Yeah, that's 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 a very good point. So some people, what you and I are doing now, for them would be completely and utterly impossible and terrifying. For some people, the thought of just you and I having doing this podcast now, they would like rather like harm their career than than do it. So often, where the the response is so that that the person just wants to avoid it, they want to run away. Basically, their whole nervous system is like, I can't do this. I could complete and utter like mental and physical freak out. That's different from somebody going, oh, I've got a few butterflies in my tummy. Oh, I feel my heart's beating a little bit fast. This is like a proper, proper trauma response where like everything else goes out of the window. So any like career ideas that they might have or where they want to go in their career or anything else, that just goes out of the window because the nervous system basically has three, your brain has three priorities, basically. So there's the, the, the rational kind of career strategy, all this kind of stuff. Then there's the, the, the physical safety and then there's the survival. And what happens with somebody with with severe phobia is their nervous system goes into a full-on survival response as if they're being physically attacked. So that's kind of where the person will know actually my symptoms are so bad that I don't care about my I don't care about anything. I I just like I've heard of people, you know, obviously, and the way that I talk about my clients is I can talk about them in the most general terms. You'll never know who this person is. I've had somebody describe that they're at a conference, they're mic'd up, 
they tell the people they they they, they can't they say to the AV team, I'm just nipping to the toilet and never come back. Like that is a proper, I don't care about my career, my reputation, anything. I have to get out of here. I can't do it. And you can't rationalize your way out of that. You know, you can't say, well, you do realize that, that statistically speaking, you, you, they won't reject you or all this kind of, that rational stuff's not going to help when the nervous system is in complete and utter freak out. So yeah. <laughs> How interesting. And I, I guess at that level of it, it's not a choice at all, is it? It's just I, no, then it's not I a choice. I physically can't do that. I just need to get out. Or sometimes it sometimes can come in the middle of a presentation where suddenly the nervous system goes into freak out mode and the brain will go blank. It's almost like the whole nervous nervous system will freeze and they literally lose access to the rational part of their brain going blank on stage in front of a lot of people I've had clients that that's happened to where then that becomes like a traumatic memory that sort of informs their anxiety where the nervous system goes well you don't want to do that again because look what happened last time you know so then that has to be treated sort of like the that nasty traumatic memory has to be treated as well as try and work out why the nervous system went into like complete freeze mode in that moment as well. So our nervous system sounds incredibly powerful. It's something I'm reading about at the moment, actually. So I'm hoping to have a specific episode on that. But for people like me that really don't know very much about the nervous system, what is it important that people know about their nervous system as it relates to this? Yeah, so basically, we like to think that we're very rational and that we're very modern and like uh, that we are sort of very, uh, you know, that, that, that we're sort of very goal-driven. But the nervous system is basically what, what runs the show. All of us are made of flesh and blood and nerves and, and basically guts. And the nervous system is very powerful. So like I said earlier on, it's got these different priorities. And the oldest part of your nervous system but basically just wants you to survive. Then the next level, it wants you to be safe. And then the next level is all, all your, your career goals and everything else that you might have. And what happens is when your nervous system detects danger, like when it scans the room and it decides, oh, I don't like the way that person looks at me. Or, or you know, when you're driving, you see a car and you think, oh, I, I don't trust that car. I think they're going to do something dodgy, right? So the nervous system picks up scans for danger. And when your nervous system scans for danger and it picks up something dangerous, like real or imagined, it will automatically activate the autonomic nervous system will automatically activate that fight flight response or the freeze response. So basically then you're at the mercy of it because obviously, you know, we and people talk about getting hijacked by the nervous system. And of course that's a very useful if you're in physical danger, you want those responses to kick in. And the problem is that when those responses kick in, Basically, most of the blood will go to like your body in fight flight mode. It'll go into, it'll leave your prefrontal cortex, your rational kind of newest bit of your brain. And it'll go to your heart, your arms, your lungs, because you need to either run or punch somebody, right? So then you don't have access to that rational part of the brain as much. The nervous system is very powerful. And you probably, you've probably been reading about the vagus nerve and you'll see behind me, if, for those people who are watching this on, on YouTube, you'll see this poster of the nervous system behind me with the different kind of states of the nervous system. 
because without making, I call it making friends with the nervous system. And that's what I help my clients do when they go from like nervous to like being able to actually do big keynotes and TV and stuff is I help them real make friends with the nervous system and actually feel build safety and a zone of tolerance in the nervous system. On that, I mean, I'm, you know, people, lots of people talk about, um, you'll see these like uh, motivational bros on LinkedIn talking about getting out of your comfort zone and all this kind of stuff. But when somebody's had quite a lot of trauma, my sort of approach is to help them expand their comfort zone so that their window of tolerance and their window of safety gets bigger rather than pushing somebody who's already anxious to go outside their their comfort zone because that can actually be counterproductive and it can be quite overwhelming and if they have a bad experience then there's more work to be done to try and get them to to try it again basically that makes sense it makes me think about my small child learning to swim and one of the dads said to me um just throw him in and he'll work it out and I was like no that would traumatize him (laughs) and there might be some kids that would work on but definitely not mine but it's that same principle this is this is a really good example. When I did my trauma training in America, I did a lot of body-based trauma work, and this was one of the examples that that the the professor, Dr. David Baselli gave is that little nervous system of the child being thrown in, or like you know when they go down a slide and their mom and dad is or dad isn't there to catch them and they go under, their little nervous system thinks they're drowning. So and it's that momentary like this is dangerous, like their nervous system doesn't know they're going to get caught or that somebody's going to fish them out of the water. It's a bit old school, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) It's a bit medieval, a bit 1980s. (laughs) (laughs) Toughen them up, never did me any harm, that kind of thing. Exactly. And so what are some of the things that we can do ahead of a terrifying presentation? Let's say we're not at phobia stage, um, but we have extreme nerves ahead of an important presentation what are some of the suggestions you could make for how we can go into that situation a bit calmer first of all you got to know your stuff prepare more than you think make sure that you especially hone your beginning and your ending so that you will get a little bit nervous just in that moment as you're about to go on you will get a little bit more nervous the more you've rehearsed what you're saying and actually spoken it lots of different times the more likely it is you're going to remember it and be able to at least nail that opening and the ending. Uh, the other thing, there is loads of different techniques that you can do while you're like waiting to get ready, and they, they all relate to the nervous system. One is as you're waiting and there's no one around, if you move your neck from side to side and like scan the environment, I'm doing those for people watching, what you're literally doing is you're, you're, you're telling your really old part of your nervous system I've scanned for predators and there aren't any. Try this. This really, really works. The other thing you can do is as you're waiting to go on, if you possibly can, depending on like the, the way the, the, the conference or the presentation is set up, try and talk to a few people beforehand. So if you're doing speaking at a conference, try and talk to a few people, say, how, how are you? Know, how are you? Like, what, are you what brings you here kind of thing. Make eye contact and smile at them. That will help get your nervous system into that safe social engagement zone. Basically, what also does it, it, it like takes your attention out from your own anxiety and your body and going, oh my God, my heart's beating, this is going to be bad, bad, bad. You like then 
put your attention outwards and you connect with other people's nervous systems and that will help settle you. So the, the, the kind of that behind me, for those of you watching on YouTube, the green zone, the safe zone is actually the face. So the more like eye contact you can make and the more you can smile and chat to people, the more it'll help settle your nervous system. Uh, those are two of the most practical things. So preparation, move your neck and do the smiley smile and like, um, and smile, you know, and sort of that will help settle your nervous system. I love that. Okay, so we're just turning our heads to the side, looking around, basically scanning the horizon. Great. That's a great way to remember it. Okay. And I like the idea of faces as well, because yeah, I've read before that our nervous systems are connected to each other, aren't they? So if you're connecting with someone, yes. then you're like, oh, I have a little bit of a calm from their nervous system. Our nervous systems, they co-regulate. We've all had this, you know, sometimes, you know, you might meet someone who's super anxious and super, super anxious. And if you're not careful, you will get more anxious because you're with them. But if you're with someone who feels really calm and settled and safe, your nervous system can relax. So all of us, we, we, we co-regulate. Um, so using that, like when you're getting ready for a speak and talk to various different people, it makes such a difference. It really, really makes a difference. I've done this myself at, at like loads of different, like I've spoken at loads of different events and I've done that and it really, really helps. So yeah, and it's fun. Plus then also the audience will go, oh, they're actually nice. They want, they're actually interested in me. They haven't just come to talk at me. They're actually interested in getting to know me, like what brings me here. So yeah, that will, will make it feel less threatening and more like a, like a social collaborative type thing as well, if that doesn't sound too hippie-ish. But basically, <laughs> you're there to share information and make a connection with your audience. That's why you're there, right? So, Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting what you said about co-regulating because it took me back to, um, I never used to be scared of flying. And then I flew to South Africa and back next to a good friend who was terrified of flying. So like 10 hour, 11 hour flight twice. And I was scared of flying for years after that. And I was like, where has this fear come from? But basically I've been absorbing his fear. Yeah. You, you got <laughs> infected. Exactly. And this is the same thing where we, we kind of learn. So then your nervous system goes, oh, Maybe, uh, maybe he's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then uh, within the Be Bolder Confidence course that I run, um, we run a session on speaking up in meetings. And I talk to people about what are you worried about? What are your fears? And the biggest fear that comes up is I'm going to freeze halfway through and my mind is going to go blank. And it does happen. So, and, and I think you explained earlier, that's sort of your nervous system kicking in at that point. How, yes. how do we deal with that in the moment well sometimes of course and, and i'm thinking back to a lot of my clients who who have been what you know they they're like i want i need to be able to speak but i'm where i'm worried about speaking in meetings often they've had a really bad experience many many of my clients have been bullied at a previous role or had a really difficult home life or they've been like had a very critical parent or like a dysfunctional parent or they've they've had a a tricky school life so often there's a reason and very often there has been a very you know what colleague who in the past who's who's made them like more self-conscious and more nervous um so if that is the case then some sort of therapy to help deal with that would help and then also there are again the some of the same techniques that i shared earlier but, but also thinking okay, I'm here to make a contribution. 
and then maybe say something small and then see, oh, actually, the end, the world didn't end, you know, try, try something small and also, again, try and, uh, wherever possible, try and um, anticipate what might come up in the meeting so you can prepare. The other thing is that sometimes if somebody is an introvert, many of my clients are introverts, if they're an introvert, like a a question out of the blue can can make them freeze as well and then what happens then after that they beat themselves up and they go oh god this is terrible I, I'm such a loser why couldn't why couldn't I just say something and then of course beating yourself up is understandable but it creates more tension and it creates more difficulty about the whole thing so if it is really bad then again try and try and deal with some of the the root causes of where you know try and get a little bit of therapy about perhaps your first boss who was a real mean so-and-so because that's again the nervous system will will go oh this is like that time and it's not even a rational thing sometimes when I'm working with clients it's like they work out that if there is a like a senior man in the room whether a man or a woman it reminds them of, of a past experience where a bad things happen so and the nervous system remember also would rather err on the side of on the side of caution. It would rather go activate the defences. It would rather be safe than sorry. So what can sometimes happen is that it can start to loop, and it's a bit like um, a car alarm that goes off every time a cat walks by. You know, it just needs to be recalibrated because it's it's not actually a dangerous situation. But the nervous system would rather be safe than sorry. And you'll find this with phobias too. The plane is scary, and then suddenly. They don't want to go on a double-decker bus and suddenly they don't want to go on the tube and then suddenly it's like before you know it, it a phobia can loop as well and it's understandable that, that people avoid it but ideally find someone that can help you if, if it's a serious thing that makes sense and i'm going to ask you more about that in a second if you're in if you're let's say you're on a stage at a conference and you have frozen would you acknowledge what's going on because that would be my instinct to go Oh, sorry, totally lost my place. And then use humor and then get yes, back into it. Absolutely. Is, is that what you do? I would definitely. And also, I was um, watching um, a talk. I've, I've, a lot of my like colleagues are professional speakers. And I will, with a, with a client as well, before we do a press, we, 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 I get them ready for a presentation mentally and physically. But then also, we'll, we'll, we'll prepare and I'll say, okay, think of all the things that could go wrong. And some people will say, oh, that's a really negative thing. Yeah. But no, you, let's be realistic. The re- reality is you may go blank. The tech may fail. You may get a really unpleasant question in the Q&A. So let's prepare. Try and think of a, like, depending on what age you are, you can go, oh, I've, I've come over a bit. Like, I've had a senior moment or whatever. If you're a computer person, you go, well, I had a temporary, like, a blue screen of death or whatever. You make it, you prepare a little joke. And often, remember, in your head, this pause is going to feel longer than, than to the audience. So you can just come up with a little joke or something. And, and if this is difficult, again, enlist the help of a trusted friend or a colleague to help you, like come up with one that's going to feel good to you. And like audiences on the whole don't really mind things going wrong. It's how you handle it. Actually, how you handle it can really help enhance your reputation. And again, this links to the nervous system because most of the time we are so worried about how we come across that we can get more uptight. 
a, like a very comfortable presence on stage as well. It comes back to that co-regulation. A very comfortable presence on stage can handle things going wrong and can handle little things like that and take it in their stride. And that then gives the audience nervous system permission to settle as well. So it's like watching a speaker have a little moment to go, oh, temporary blip. Or say whatever, like some computer term, like the blue blue screen of death, or I just needed to reboot my brain, or whatever it might be. Come up with something like that, and then get straight back on it. And if that is likely to happen, try and have some sort of crib notes somewhere, some little cards or something, if if you're worried about it. And then you can refer to that quickly. There are loads of different like speaker tricks where you can quickly find your place again. So yeah, I really like that idea of, of preparing for what could go wrong and um, Tim Ferriss talks about fear mapping so mapping what could go wrong and then what are the consequences of that and what can you do to try and counteract it and it makes you feel more in control and I tend to do that if I'm spiraling makes you feel more resourced as well if you are a, a person who suffers with a lot of anxiety that is going to be done much better with somebody else because on your own you just you you may you may well spin out so, uh, and this is why, I mean, I, I, I'm not a presentation coach, but what I'll sometimes do with, with clients is if they have a really big thing, like one of my clients went from like nervous in meetings to being invited to go live on the BBC and now does a lot of like business American TV. If you then working with a presentation specialist, just on those techniques can make all the difference. So you feel that, Having someone in your corner, even for that technical stuff, who says, try this, trust me, it's going to work. Or like even with jokes and stuff like that, having someone who's who knows their stuff in your corner is just makes all the difference. So, And that's not something that I, I generally do with clients, but that's definitely an option for once I've treated the anxiety, then they can go off and really like fly, basically, and which is so fun. I think if you're operating at a senior level, particularly in a large global company where there is a lot of exposure and presentations, making that investment in yourself on both sides, on the mental side, if that's something you struggle with, and then just on the skills development side seems to me to be a really good idea. Yeah, there, there's, yeah that, that's, a, that's a very good point. I mean, sometimes I think like people with anxiety, they, they're almost like children. They have this magical thinking where they think, okay, so Olivia's going to remove my anxiety, make me confident, and then I'll automatically be a good professional speaker. No, it's a skill. You have to learn, like it's a craft, it's a skill. You have to like learn that. It's not like suddenly I'll be able to like ride my unicycle if the fear's gone, do you know what I mean? You still have to learn how to do it. So yes. Absolutely. And I think for me, when I'm, speaking I try and think about what energy am I bringing and what energy how do I want the audience to feel um like I am not naturally a um highly energetic extroverted person but I can think about do I want people to feel calm do I want them to feel reassured do I want them to feel inspired and really try and feel that and embody that myself because our energy is infectious and I always think even if you fluff up some words like this podcast is never perfect um but the intention and the energy is there which means it does land with people now tell us really briefly about how do you work with people in terms of you've talked about working with this trauma and with their nervous system could you just tell us a bit about the couple of techniques that you 
use, because I know you're trained in various techniques, just so that they get a sense of what that might look like to work with you on that. What I tend to do is I will, like, obviously we'll, we'll have a session face-to-face or uh, virtually, and I'll assess the person, try and work out where, little, where their triggers are. And then depending on that, well, I will basically create like a, a little bespoke recipe for each person using a lot of the different techniques. And on, on a given day, it may, I mean, I do like some sort of meridian like stimulation techniques. You may have seen like tapping techniques. There's a lot of like tapping techniques that I don't approve of at all that are completely stupid and counterproductive and and that's uh, speaking as somebody who's like trained all over the world in with in all sorts of different techniques so a lot of it will be uh physical and mental techniques so I do some eye movement stuff for specific traumas I do some body-based techniques as well um so most of it isn't all going to be just me talking and asking them about you know oh how do you feel about that and were you bullied at school and all this often it's uh it feels more like a like a conversation and but but we do some techniques and like I had a amazing testimonial a while ago from someone who's actually a professional speaker who's like a really really high level very experienced professional speaker I, she 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 gave a public testimonial so I can kind of refer to her a little bit ex BBC like keynote speaker and in our work we we just chatted there was laughter there were tears there were like loads of different techniques and it it got to the point where she was able to go back to like enjoying what she does, what she's amazing at without anxiety and like actually being able to deliver without all sorts of other anxiety to do with like travel, outfits, you know, all this kind of stuff. And just, um, so basically I can't say, oh, I've got like one technique that I, that's my go-to technique. It's basically a bespoke what I do is very bespoke, so it's a bespoke recipe. But it isn't just talking. Usually there's lots of laughter, there's tears, and I try and make it as light and as fun as I possibly can, even though obviously people coming with with a quite a, something that's quite a big deal, you know. If somebody has a new role that they're starting and they're really worried, it's a really, really big deal because there's so much else wrapped up in it. It's like, am I going to be able to pay the mortgage? Am I going to be able to if applicable like look after my children properly am I going to be like there's there's so much wrapped up in career there's so much like almost survival stuff if I can fix this then you know my career and my kids and my family and my home life will be better if I don't fix this I don't know what will happen and then it can start to loop so it's often it's a it's a real a responsibility like what I do and I try and make it like as as effective and fast as possible without making it seem like heavier than it needs to be. And that makes sense to me. I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of coaching, but but coaching very much works with your your logical, rational brain. And yes. there are definitely times when I refer people and I say, go and find someone who can do breath work with you or something more energetic, or like you say, the was it, what's it called? The eye movement one. Yeah, the the one I'm trained is IEMT. There is another one called EMDR, but yeah, it, it can be incredibly effective for for traumatic memories because it cuts out it cuts out your brain, doesn't it, in a way, and gets straight to the issue. Well, yeah, I mean, it uses your brain, but it um, and when it's a very traumatic thing, it's it's really helpful. Sometimes it's helpful to talk about it, and sometimes it isn't. So. 
there are ways that I can deal with trauma where the person doesn't even have to tell me the whole story of what it is, and that can be very, very helpful. Uh, sometimes the person has had a thing happen that, that that's that's causing their anxiety, where they may or not even exactly remember because it's like such a long time ago where it's so deeply buried. So there are still ways that you can deal with with the trauma that's at the root of the anxiety without them having to tell you the whole story and even being able to be conscious because telling the story can actually re-traumatize. Uh, there's a book that about the nervous system that I, I don't recommend at all. I had to read it during my training called The, the Body Keeps a Score. People may have heard of it. The reason I don't recommend it is because it's full of horrendous, horrendous stories of trauma. And, um, but it's true, you know, the, the the basis of the book is like the body does keep the score. I, I always give this example. So I had a quite a nasty accident. Um, I was cycling. This is like 20 odd years ago. I was cycling and um, a, I was waiting at a junction and this van, instead of moving forward, reversed into me and like hit like there was there was blood. There was there was like a really nasty facial injury and like and after that so I got all this the dental work done and everything else and then after that every time I saw a reversing light my nervous system would go into like complete and utter freak out because you know like you said the rational part of my brain will know well this guy this is a different occasion this is a different car it's not going to happen but the nervous system would rather keep me safe so it would go complete and utter like and the way that the trauma response the body it comes up it's not top down it's like whoop so i i did some of these the the eye movement technique to try and help me uncouple that memory that that little that visual and that trauma response from that from that whole traumatic incident to the point where now it doesn't bother me in the same way. And me going to counselling and talking about that incident for like eight to ten sessions isn't going to help me uncouple. It's not. It, it's not going to help me with that complete and utter body, mm. you know, response. So that's where some of these these kind of more advanced techniques can can be very helpful. That's a really helpful way to explain it. Thanks, Olivia. And then before we finish up, um, I know that you were interested to share some of your thoughts on imposter syndrome. So you've got a particular view on that, I believe. <laughs> I do, I do. So um, my clients, uh, I see a lot of men. Uh, I see a lot of men, very, very successful people with like, you know amazingly outwardly successful people kind of corporates as well as entrepreneurs and most people who come to me even the men say to me I have imposter syndrome and so the idea that there's a notion that it's uh, basically that it's predominantly a female problem and that if only women were just a bit more confident, they would earn more money, there'd be more with female leaders and everything would be groovy. Now, the, the reality that you and I both know is that there are major systemic issues uh, that, that, that are basically uh, when it comes to like women um, and f female leaders especially. So the, you know, the idea that it's somehow... This it's a like a little twist. It's a bit like an abuser making you think it's your fault. It's like saying, "Oh well, come on, love, just be a bit more confident. Come on, love, we really want you to, you know." And it's just such a nice. It's a, such a um, 
it's they, it's a, like such a number that that people do on, on on women that they try to do on women. And my my thing is like, so I I feel really for obviously I'm 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 in the corner of all my clients, but especially for the men, I think most of the men they think I'm they're on their own as well. So, um, and so my thing about imposter syndrome is like, and I've I've coached like female doctors, all sorts of incredibly like successful people, and I think imposter syndrome is often like it. There is a little trauma link to it for sure in my clinical experience, and also like the only people who don't suffer from imposter syndrome are like grandiose narcissists, you know, people like Johnson and Trump who just think that they're genius is so incredible that they don't actually have to do any work like everything should just come to them and um so the my my take on the the imposter syndrome is like ideally your competence and your confidence should match so that you know that like yes i know i can do this you know and that it's realistic so with imposter syndrome your competence is higher than your confidence I like with imposter syndrome, like people are way, their confidence way outstrips their, their, their competence. And, um, so that's basically, we, we just need to kind of keep it more rationally. And I like, um, and lots of people say to me, oh, but I kind of, even though it's men and women, they go, I wish I had a little bit of that grandiose kind of narcissism. I wish I had a little bit of that, like that, that BS, like, you know, attitude. So we sometimes work with personas in my work. And like, so if you are confident, what it would be, but, but basically what happens with, when, when your nervous system goes into that fight flight uh, response, this, you know, rational brain shuts off and then you can't accurately assess your, com- your confidence in your competence. So that is often where that when the anxiety kicks in, it would rather keep you safe and say, actually, you probably can't do it. You know, oh, don't get too big for your boots, Carla. Well, what do you mean you want to start a YouTube channel? Well, what do you mean you want to do this? You know, <laughs> so it's like, um, like the often the anxiety. The job is it's actually trying to keep you safe. It's trying to stop you from making a fool of yourself or, or like reaching too far and then protect you from re- rejection. So that that can be a good way to look at it. But again, key is the nervous system. Like look back on your past, try and work out where some of those traumatic memories are coming from that are informing your current response. And then resource yourself with like techniques, coaches, whatever. And then, you know, off you go and see see what can be possible. That makes sense. Because we need more women. We need more. We need more competent women. Uh, enough of there's a there's a book. Um, it's called Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? And basically, uh, you you've probably seen this book. And uh, the, basically, there are there are often not enough barriers. There aren't enough barriers to to, to mediocre men. Basically, so that's what we we need. <laughs> so we need more women, competent, amazing women to like. Um, Go, go for it, basically. Yeah, and people are being promoted based on confidence, not on competence. It's uh, The yes, book makes the point exactly. that we're measuring the wrong things and looking for the wrong things in leadership. It's a, it's a really interesting book. I agree. And I think um, I have a slightly different take on I mean, I call it imposter feelings because I think it does come and go. But for me, oh, I, see, absolutely. I see the confidence. So I do a lot of confidence training, obviously. I see that as sort of recovery from what gender bias and your work experience has done to you because lots of women go in confident and then two years in the workplace absolutely. and they've become less ambitious and they're no longer thinking of such senior leadership roles. So it's, 
it's really interesting, isn't it? I think we need both, don't we? We need that systemic change and we need women to recognize how good they actually are because they've had it knocked out of them. Exactly. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you about public speaking. I know that there will be some people going, I know I need to talk to Olivia. Um, Where's the best place place for people to to find you or find out more about you? Yeah. Uh, So my biggest uh, social platform is uh, LinkedIn. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. Love to hear from you. My website's uh, harleystreetcoach.com. Uh, and I, I think I was, I was, I've also sent you a link if somebody wants to book uh, like a 20 minute call with me um, to talk about anything that they can. Um, and if they do book a call like that, I don't even know how to do a hard sell. So fear not. If you book one of those calls, I'm not going to try and like do uh, mind tricks on you to try and uh, manipulate you into having coaching. I know some people do that. The coaching world has been, there's a lot of bad stuff in the coaching world, but just fear not, rest assured, if you want to have a chat with me, please feel free to book a chat and uh, in confidence, complete confidence. Brilliant. Thanks, Olivia. And I know I've sent a couple of people your way knowing that that's the kind of help that they need. So thank you for sharing your insight and your techniques. I, for one, am definitely interested in learning more about my nervous system because it can either be on my side or it could be sabotaging me and what I want to achieve. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Olivia. If you're not already following the podcast in Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen, be sure to set it to follow. There's a little cross in the top right-hand corner of the app so that you don't miss future episodes. If you'd like to talk to me about one-to-one coaching or the upcoming Be Bolder Confidence course, or Influence and Impact Women's Leadership Program, feel free to head over to my website and book a call or connect with me on LinkedIn and send a message there.